When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Craig Fowler here. Before we get to tonight's show, let me tell you about our sponsors for this week. Manscaped, the men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world! Manscaped offers precise engineered tools for your family jewels, and they have just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TERRACE at manscaped.com. Now, I've been a massive advocate of Manscaped ever since I tried my first razor, as I no longer need to worry about nasty nicks when keeping my pubic region nice and neat. But let me tell you about the latest upgrades. The improved trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage your travel lock, means it doesn't start vibrating in your bag. It also gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when you need it for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lens with sizes 1 to 4. And how about wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Terrace at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code Terrace. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Hello and welcome to Thursday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Anderson and I'm joined today by Sean McGuigan. Hello there. And Sean, we are here to talk, amazingly, about a big Scotland away win. One that, that I think we're both absolutely buzzing about. Aye, and I'm, I'm saying Tuesday was, Tuesday was set up, or I felt it was set up for myself to be a, an evening of footballing misery. Uh, Wraith Rovers away to air at six and then Scotland away to Austria afterwards. And I thought this this might not, might not go well at all. Uh, however, I, I saw a, a defensive masterclass from three Colossuses, if that's a word, Colossuses, uh, Kyle Benedictus, Christoph Berra and, and Grant Hanley. But regardless, regardless of the Wraith Rovers' performance, uh, to see Scotland put in... A, do you know what I'm saying? Like, we know that Scotland can put in a performance like that. Like, we've seen it previously under Steve Clark, but all too fleetingly. So, England away, Serbia away in terms of competitive games, maybe the Netherlands away if you want to include friendlies. So, we, we knew that they had a performance like that within them, but I must admit, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I mean, if you'd said to me a week previously, or less than a week, I think, uh, at halftime in a Denmark game, if you'd said to me, Right, within a week, we will have the playoff place within our own hands. I wouldn't have believed you because of how poorly we played against Denmark. And I know, as far as I'm concerned, part of the reason we played so poorly was because of how we were set up. 
but the fact that we were able to turn it round, I, I know I had the Moldova game in between that I wasn't overly uh, uh, overly impressed by, but aye, that Austria game, I, I kind of thought best case scenario we might get a point, we, we might get a point, but how well we played, and I mean it wasn't just a win. I felt it was a deserved win. And, and as much as we were, there was points in the game where I, I thought we were a wee bit deep and I, I thought this could be a long night. Uh, no, I, I thought in terms of chances created, in terms of performances, we probably deserved the, the, the three points and suddenly getting to the playoffs at least looks very much uh, a, a possibility. And, and I think that, I mean, that had to be the target. I'm, realistically, we're a third seed and, and yes, we were... On paper, when the groups got drawn, it looked like we were fortunate with a group in the sense that we didn't get a big name. We've obviously currently seen that Denmark are actually maybe quite good. Um, so again, second had to be the target, and we've got that in our grasp now. And I think it, I think it is a point in it. And I saw someone else make it. I can't remember who. This is why we hired Steve Clark. We didn't hire Steve Clark to beat Moldova for now. We hired Steve Clark to get wins like that to be able to go and beat Austria. And if that means you have to scrape shitey wins against Moldova rather than beating them comfortably I'm willing to take it because ultimately you get the same number of points no matter how many uh, goals you beat the, the minnows by as long as you do beat them um, whereas- The thing is I suppose uh, I suppose what, what you could say about Steve Clark as well is so so it's very encouraging that we are now at least competing so, so obviously Austria were the number two seed so we've taken four points off them this is probably our Biggest result against a, a fellow qualifier since beating Ireland at home, maybe. Uh, and in terms of beating somebody away from home in a kind of meaningful game, pass. I, I, I don't know. I can't remember the last time we, we beat. And in terms of a meaningful game, I can't remember I'm the last time probably. we beat a, a side that was that was seeded higher than us. This feels like a, a kind of massive result. What I would say about Steve Clark is, uh, and again, I, I don't necessarily want to get ahead of myself, but we generally now do take care of the lower seeds, and I were maybe not, maybe not disposing of them comfortably. But part of that comes down to the fact that we probably don't have a natural goal scorer. I think we have a a strike force now that will that will kind of do and has that has their attributes. I, I'm not sure in scoring lots of goals at, at any of those attributes, but it, it's it's been rare for them to. Well, I think, I think we've, generally, we've, we've generally dispensed with all the kind of lower seeds so far. So far, and obviously, I, I hope that continues. But I'd, I'd, the reason I don't want to get too far ahead of myself is, A, a record against Israel is poor. poor and a record against the two bottom seeds in the group is generally poor in terms of, it's quite rare for us to take full, like six points out of six for the fifth seed and the sixth seed. So um, I'm certainly not taking anything for granted. Yeah, I think uh, we, it would be wrong to say otherwise. We are we are now the favourites in this group to finish second. I think that's fairly clear. All all we need to do, and if you want to put it in that way, is, is win at home against an Israel team that, yes, we've had tangles with, but ultimately when we, we did overcome them in the playoffs, we did finish ahead of them in the Nations League twice. It's never been easy, but that's a game you would expect to win. That's a game that, 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 that if the world cares, the world will still be expecting us to win. Um, and then it's it's two away games against poor teams. That's all we need to do. If we get those nine points, we will, we will be second in the group. 
But as you say, I don't think, I think there's a difference between saying that we're favourites and saying that it's, it's going to be straightforward because I don't think it's going to be straightforward. Ultimately, that Israel game will be a, a, a battle. I If we win, it'll be a, by a goal. I'm pretty sure of that. I don't think we're going to go and smash them because I don't think it's something we've got in us. That DASA will no doubt uh, just absolutely <laughs> roast uh, Andy Robertson for the... <laughs> a guy Infuriatingly. Vitesse Arnhem or whoever it is that he plays for it's like he, he moved on actually does he does he play for he plays for someone else better than that now but anyway Goodness he just knows. he just constantly pops up and I'm, I feel like I never see the back of the guy Zahavi will score a goal so it is just about um, hopefully our good players doing what they can do and we know we know they can and then as you say that sets up that and, and I think actually if we beat Israel we can probably afford to draw one of those away games I would rather we didn't but we would actually probably put ourselves in a position where we could afford to. We don't want to, um, but but we we are getting ahead of ourselves to that. But so let's focus, I think, on on Tuesday night. Uh, focus on Scotland, Austria. So when when the team came out, that that was pretty much the exact team that I thought would play. What what did you think? Uh, no, I would have I I would have picked that side. I think. I mean, it's interesting in terms of the. I suppose maybe the the debatable. Uh, the debatable positions, I suppose, that I hadn't realised that, that Patterson was was kind of ruled out. It's interesting, I, I think. So I, I've never been. I don't know if anybody has ever been Stephen O'Donnell's biggest fan. Maybe you have been, <laughs> uh, and then uh, you you are, yeah. Uh, but do you know something? And see if I, I think there's, there's there's lots of reasons to say that Nathan Patterson could be a decent right back going forward. However. Uh, I thought Patterson done a lot of things right against Moldova, but I also thought he looked shaky at a lot of moments as well. And I think based on his defensive performance, uh, Stephen O'Donnell was very good against Austria. But then he also like, he got forward really well also. Uh, however, that like his final ball like w- w- was kind of lacking at times. But I, I, I did enjoy that time when he just, like late in the game, but he, he just sprinted past uh, Alaba, and I know it like it looked like he was the most exhausted man in the world, but he still got he still got a shot off on on target. So in terms of Stephen O'Donnell being right back, absolutely fine with that. Uh, Jack Henry at centre half, I I am not quite as assured about Jack Henry as the Scots podcast abroad Twitter feed is or, or whatever it's called. I, I have my reservations about him. However, I thought he defended very well, and uh, that that kind of that kind of settled Mahash. I would be quite happy for him to continue as a, as a Scotland centre half. And I, I thought, in terms of his defensive duties against Russia, he, he'd done very well. And and he is he has another centre half that can that can kind of come out with the football, and he is, he is just like a big a big lump, which we've moaned about in terms of yeah. Scottish centre halves. Uh, and then I suppose you're, you're probably looking up front. So London Dykes and, and Chi Adams are, are an interesting combination. I think both have their limitations. I think sometimes Lyndon Dykes doesn't necessarily play well for Scotland. However, I sometimes think we play better when he is in the team. And, and I think in terms of all the players that play up front for Scotland, so if you're looking at Dykes or Adams or if we're asking Ryan Christie to be a, a kind of like play behind a, a striker. They all 
they all bring something to the party. But I do think Dykes and Adams, and I suppose you, you, can, you, you could include Ryan Fraser, who for a wee spell, maybe, I don't know, a year ago, 18 months ago, him and Dykes looked like they had a, a, a really good understanding. But Adams and, and, and Dykes against Austria, they, they, they progressed us and they pushed us so much further up the park. And then when McGinn, just behind them, there was so many, uh, so many examples of the three of them combining. And like McGinn had a couple of good opportunities. He, he probably should have scored at least one, maybe two. Adams had a couple of good opportunities. Again, probably should have scored at least once. And that probably is why we struggle to put teams away or, or struggle to beat the, the, the minnows uh, convincingly because Adams, Dykes, McGinn, if you want to include them in a, a kind of forward trio, they're all very good and they certainly improve us but they're not necessarily goal scorers. And that's that's the only thing that let us down. I mean, I, I thought defensively we're sound. I thought midfield was excellent. I don't always stick up for Callum McGregor. I thought he was excellent uh, on the night. The only thing that let us down was we couldn't have put them away slightly earlier. Yeah, and I think it's you're looking at the attacking players that we have in it, and it's there is a lot of that. There's a lack of refinement and a lack of goals, but a lot of endeavour and a lot of really good things. And people can look look down their nose at that level of like endeavour, but there are very few players in world football that have what John McGinn has. Like in terms of it, it's hard to even describe. He's got, the Spanish would have a word for it, I'm sure, but uh, but we don't. But um, or the Germans maybe more likely. But he's his energy but it's kind of it's all put to good use it's not like wasted energy everything he does impacts the game so positively John McGinn and I don't think he's necessarily that good a footballer I don't think he's the most talented he's, he's talented he's, he's alright but it's about I mean that that clip of him at the end of the game where he just he, he skins the guy to go in towards goal and then he like has the, the presence of mind to realise well the guy's just going to expect me to, to you know go towards goal here so I'm just going to Turn back away from him and just make sure we see this game out. I, I went from being I went from being unbelievably nervous at that point to 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 just bursting out laughing. See, as soon as he kind of doubled back on himself, let's <laughs> burst out laughing. I was like, that's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And and yet, we, you you're always talking about a pessimistic nation. So you say, well, you know, we've got all that, but we're not scoring enough goals. And what happens if we start conceding them? What if it's the other way around? What if it's well, we we keep keeping all these clean sheets, but suddenly we do start scoring goals. That's possible. Um, so so you have to look at it. I think Adams has the potential in him. I think he's not maybe, as a goal scorer, really found it. I, I think he could have won that England game for us, particularly Adams had the, be- the best chances in that game. If he can step up goal scoring, because I think he's our most likely one as a guy that can get goals at this level, we do have a really strong attacking outlet now. And, and, you think of when Steve Clark took over, neither of those guys were playing for us. Neither of those guys were, were Scottish at the time, if you want to talk about it that way. London Dykes was, in fact, London Dykes had just completed a season with Queen of the South. Um, and uh, Adams was, yeah, I think, in Birmingham, at Birmingham, and neither of whom were, were playing for us. And we were looking at, you know, Naismith, McBurney, Burke, as Eamon Brophy started Clark's first game up front. In fact, we now have two really good, like, Two, uh, two international quality strikers or two strikers that could be like you wouldn't look at them and go, oh, well, he plays for QPR, he plays for Southampton and go, right, fair enough. They are 
the sort of strikers we would expect a team at our level to have, which I don't think was the case previously. And and yeah, I agree with you. Some, someone like O'Donnell, I think the people who so so I, again, I will go on record to saying I'm Stephen. I am probably literally Stephen O'Donnell. <laughs> um, I think people that criticise him don't actually watch him play and just have an idea of them in their head. Stephen O'Donnell is not talented footballer. He's not like a he's not skilled on the ball or anything like that. But the amount of people who say, "Oh, well, he only defends. He doesn't get forward." Have you ever watched him? Like he, he's incredibly fit and he does get up and down the channel. You do see him in the final third all the time. Now, when he's in the final third, more often than not, especially at this level, he doesn't necessarily contribute what you would like him to because he's maybe his final ball's not all there. Maybe he's not um, able to pick the pass. Maybe his decision-making isn't good. But he does get there. He's not, there's not a problem with Stephen O'Donnell getting into the final third. The problem is, is just what happens when he gets there. Ultimately... He was he was the right option for this game, even if Patterson was available, and he'll be the right option for for several other games going forward. And I think people have to get used to that. Um, then you've got the other side of that defense; it's like, it's just incredibly strong. Robertson gets held, I think, gets held to too high a standard in the sense that people will say he doesn't play well for Scotland. And yes, again, he doesn't play as well as he does for Liverpool, but ultimately you would very very rarely do Andy Robertson make a mistake and let Scotland down. It happens occasionally. Um, and so he gets... You talked about Patterson. Patterson was being judged against Moldova on the basis that he was a 19-year-old. And so when he did something when he done something well, it was over-egged to the point of, oh, he's just a wee boy and he's managed to do that. Do you know what I mean? Whereas when he yep. made a mistake, it was like he's ready to learn. And that's fine. I wanted Patterson to play the other night. It was a performance you would expect of a 19-year-old. The opposite is true of Robertson, where it's like when he does things competently, when he gets a seven out of ten performance, it's like, well, so what? He's a Liverpool captain. Is oh, sorry, he's the Scotland captain in place for Liverpool. That's just what you expect from him. So it's kind of overlooked the fact that that Robertson has has barely put a foot wrong for Scotland aside from his shooting in the last year. I would say I think he's been been very good actually, and Tierney doubles up with him so well on that side. That's us talked about every single player in the team, with the exception of, of two who are possibly two of our best performers on the night. Um, which is uh, is is your favourite? Um, your favourite Grant Hanley and of course uh, Billy Gilmore in front of him. <laughs> Gilmore, I think it was the first time I'd actually watched him play in person um, against Moldova. I think he's the most exciting player Scotland have had since I started going to watch Scotland. He is. There, there are weaknesses, there are flaws in his game. Of course, there are. He's twenty years old, but. He's phenomenal. The, the the space he always finds himself and the fact that it is very much, he gets the ball and it's like, looks up one touch and he'll ping it 40 yards. It's like watching a young, yeah, a young Luka Modric or a young Xavi or something so, like that. So, so the, the, I suppose the, I was speaking about, I was speaking about Billy Gilmer earlier today and I was thinking, right, so how, who do you, who do you, con- who do you compare him to from a, from a, a, a Scottish perspective? And so for my money, and I know this might be, maybe you might consider it a low bar, I, I don't know. But I would say that the best midfielder for Scotland recently, and not even recently, maybe over the last generation, might be Barry Ferguson. In terms of he, he never gave the ball away and was underrated and was probably underrated because he played for Rangers, in, in, in my opinion. Uh and there was also the suggestion that he would look to play it sideways or backwards. Now, whether that was true or not, 
I, I don't know. But what I would say is that Billy Gilmore, he's similar to Ferguson and that he's so comfortable in terms of bringing the ball, like demanding the ball, even if he isn't in that much space, he, he demands the ball. And the thing is, he doesn't always get it. He doesn't always get the ball, but he was constantly demanding the ball. And he is so comfortable in terms of spinning away from his most, from his closest opponent and then playing the ball forward. And I, that's obviously a lot easier when you have uh, Dykes and Adams and McGinn, who's in a more, who's in a more forward position. But I, 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 I don't think I've been this excited about a Scotland player since. So I remember Barry Ferguson in the, I think it was a Euro 2000 qualifier. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember getting mixed up here against England and okay. Barry Ferguson was man of the match. And yeah. I was like, this, this is a, a, a potentially a world-class Scottish midfielder. Now that, in my opinion, didn't quite work out. And I thought Barry Ferguson was excellent. He wasn't world-class. Billy Gilmore, might also not be world-class, but I do think at this stage of his development, he is as good as I've seen from a Scottish perspective. Yeah, he's, he's undroppable. I said that after the England game, and only, only of course, for him to, to not be able to play the game. <laughs> after but I said, you know, you won't see him back out of the Scotland team for, for 15 years, and I stand by that. He is so good. Um, and, and yeah, he, his impact on the game again, it wasn't that he influenced the game hugely against Austria, but what it was is he's a calming presence, and that's weird when he's the youngest player on the park, but one of our big problems for a long time, and it's been better under Steve Clark in general, but one of our problems for a long time has been giving the ball away in these big games. We panic, we don't keep the ball, we don't have those those spells where we've just got the ball for 15, 20, 30 seconds. We take this thing out of the game a wee bit, we, we impose ourselves a little bit on our opponents, Gilmore suddenly gives you that because you will give him the ball and you will get it back and you're not worrying. And, and that comes with a, a bunch of other players around about him that are also composed on the ball. You talked about Henry earlier, Tierney the same. Even someone like Grant Hanley who gets a lot of abuse for being, or, or did get a lot of abuse for being a big lump. He passes the ball fine. He plays for a Norwich team where he has to be able to do that because that's how they play. Um, so you are suddenly looking at a, a very capable team and that's again missing. We were missing several players there. Scott McTominay, a regular player for Man United, wasn't playing. Ryan Jack, who's been been nothing short of excellent for Scotland, wasn't playing. Ryan Fraser wasn't available. Um, who else? There was one other. Um, James James Forrest, another player who could could have been influencing those games. Some of them are maybe not starters, but we were missing a few names. And you suddenly start looking and going, well, you know, we've got a bit of, a bit of depth in this squad as well. Do you find, uh, do you like? I, I always think that speaking about international football is probably more knee jerk because campaigns are so uh, yeah. like are so short. So you, you speak about a club team, and but they'll have like a a thirty six or thirty eight game campaign or whatever. But then when you speak about a, an international side, they, they might just have a, a, a ten game campaign to qualify for the World Cup. So it, it probably is more knee jerk. But do you find yourself being? confused by the Scotland team in terms of like I like I watch them and think this team like literally I've watched them like this week and thought twice against Denmark they're not good at all against Moldova they're entirely uh, kind of unconvincing and then against Austria I'm like actually we're very good and that's kind of been how I felt about this Steve Clark Scotland team 
for the for the duration of his tenure. Yeah. And and and, and I, I do find them quite confusing. So so is it that we are so are are we good? Are we decent? Should should I be getting my hopes up, or or or, or are these are these fleetingly good performances? Are, are they not going to be representative going forward? I, I, I don't really know. I, I find them quite a quite a weird team to get my head around. It's hard, and it's hard for me. So it's hard for me to be objective. Essentially, I've now I've now had my clever country managed by Steve Clark for about four years, <laughs> and there's been nothing but success in that period. So he took over at Kelly, and we immediately were like won nearly every game. We had we had a calendar year where we won the most points in Scotland, you know, most points in the Premiership. He then takes over the Scotland manager immediately takes us to the next tournament. So for me, it's hard to not have an unshaken belief in the fact that he knows what he's doing and he's going to get you there. But you do start doubting yourself. There have been moments with that, I think, um, a couple of, you know, when he was still persisting with the back four, which again, we can talk about whether it can go back to, but at that point, we didn't have footballers that could play out from the back and we really struggled to keep the ball. And that was, I think, one of the, the reasons for, for moving to the five at the back, which he did. At that point, I was doubting myself because I'm, I'm thinking, is this the same manager? Because they weren't doing any of the same things that you know his Kelly team did in terms of the, the principles that, that he had as a manager. But now you see those principles again. But you, you doubt yourself when you're sitting watching that Moldova game in particular. And I'm like, we've got nothing here. We're, we're not, you know, we, we scored a goal. We we barely looked at scoring again. I watched the highlights back in, in, in hindsight. We did actually have a few good chances that you kind of, when when you're playing badly and you're kind of being down on your team, you kind of forget the good chances that you did miss, you know, the Gilmore one that you really should score and things like that. But I'm exactly in the same boat as you because I look at this squad and I have supreme confidence in some of those players that they are excellent footballers. And then you sometimes watch the performance and think, am I, am I overrating these guys? But I watch them play for their clubs to a really high standard. And so, yeah, I, I, I do remain quite confused about them. And one thing I would like to caveat this with, with is I think Austria are terrible. I really don't think they're a good team at all. <laughs> so they are. So, they are. so I, I think, I, I do think Austria are poor. I think they, I, 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 it's funny, when the draw was made, I thought we lucked out in terms of Denmark as a number one seed and Austria as a number two seed. I think with the benefit of hindsight, there might be a, a lot of number one scenes that don't play as well as Denmark. I, I mean, Denmark are literally rattling teams yeah, left, yeah, right yeah. and centre. And our 2 0 defeat maybe doesn't look quite as bad uh, in context. But I do think we lucked out in terms of Austria as a, as a number two seed. They might be as as, as bad as it gets they, they, number two seed-wise. At the Euros, they, they won two games in their group and they, 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 beat, um, they beat Macedonia and they beat Ukraine in the final game. Um, and they also then obviously took took Italy kind of all the way essentially in the, in the last sixteen game. However, I think they would have if they had been in our group, which they wouldn't have been because they were not bottom seeds. But if they had been replaced Scotland in our group, I think they would have got zero points. I don't think they would have done anything in our group. So I think they were slightly fortunate with their draw in that they played North Macedonia, who were the worst team at the tournament, um, and they played um, Ukraine, who were terrible as well. Um, and you've seen that from Ukraine, I think, unable to win a game in qualifying so far, or if they've won, it's been won. So I think we have to caveat it with the fact that Austria aren't great, but at the same time, and, and they got pumped 5-2 in Israel literally several days before that. But at the same time, it doesn't matter. We've played lots of teams who aren't great, who are worse than Austria, and we have not been able to go away and beat them. And if we have been able to go away and beat them, it's been smash and grab. 
that wasn't smash and grab. That was, we're going to turn up, we're going to impose ourselves on you. Yes, you have to ride your luck at times, but you didn't come away from the game thinking, oh, you know, we didn't quite deserve that. We kind of were, were fortunate. So, I mean, and the fact is, again, I was saying we talked about every player. We haven't even mentioned Craig Gordon because he, he had one really good save and, and very little else to do. Um, I mean, so, yeah, I'm in that boat, but I think they, they obviously had the safety net. They, they won their Nations League group. Um, I'm talking about them being rubbish. They obviously aren't that bad, but they won their Nations League group. So they're kind of, as you said earlier, going to get a playoff place anyway, pretty much. And that's the only worry in terms of, obviously, Israel have to go there. Um, in the um, I think Israel are playing them away. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I've kind of had that in my head as a wee safety net. You know, if we only draw with Israel, for example... Quite sure, know, quite sure about. We probably I mean, will. The, the, the inevitable one, 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 one draw. draw is coming. Um, but when, you know, it's like, well, they've still got to go to Austria and they, they might, you know, they might well drop points there. The, it doesn't matter how bad your second seeds are. You still have to actually finish ahead of them. And, and this, the fact is we've taken the four points. Now, what I said at the start is you take six points off each, and I always say, if you can, if you can take six points off the bottom seeds and you get four against the team round about you, You'd be very unlucky not to. And so when people were being, you know, quite pessimistic, and you can understand that after the first two games when we drew with Austria and we drew with Israel away, it's like Israel away is not a bad result. You'd hope to beat them, but it's not a bad result. Austria at home is a bad result. You would want to win that game, but it's like, well, you just means you have to go and make up for that now away from home, which we did. So now we are... But but what I would say about that is, so, so again, I would say you've always been more positive uh, than myself. But we generally, we, we don't do that. So you're saying we, we, we drew with Austria at, at home and then we, we have to counter that elsewhere in the group. But generally we don't. Yeah. But yeah. you kind of thought we would do, or you certainly had a belief that we would do. I I, I didn't. But, 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 but again, I, I thought we were excellent against, against Austria on Tuesday. But you've been, I mean, you have been saying over the last, Double header, you know, you, you still fancied that we were, we were going to um, be in, in a pretty good position if we could get any sort of result. You, uh, yeah, you, you've been you've been negative at times in the past, but I think you still had that belief as well from from uh, when you were on the podcast. You know, the other um, before, it was after the Denmark game, right? And you said, you know what? Yeah, we, it was a bad performance, but you've been tallying up, you know, the the table and this. Here's I, what I, I still had I still had some faith. Yeah, man, some faith. And and also so ultimately, we've had one. We've had one bad result and one good result in this group. We had the bad result was a draw at home to Austria, the good result was their way and everything else has been what you expect. Or, or as I say, what you expect if you're targeting second, which is what we are targeting. So now it's just about going out, hopefully getting the job done in the next three games. We don't want to have to rely on anything off Denmark at Hamden, but at the same time, I am not going to sit here and say it's impossible for us to beat Denmark at Hampden either because you know we can do it. You, you would like to think, bear in mind, they'll have... So essentially, they've already qualified. Yeah. So you would like to think that if there was some kind of uh, scenario where we need to get something from Denmark, be that a point, be it three points, then we would be in a slightly better position because they've already qualified. And I'm yeah. not saying they're going to take it easy on us, but... But still, you'd, you'd like to think we would, we'd be in a decent position to to take something for them. Just think back to 2010 qualifying it was, and it was the Holland game. We played we played the Netherlands at Hampden in the last game, and I think we had to beat them actually to... Um, was that a Davy Weir mistake? Yeah, yeah, and Davy Weir fell over. But 
we actually played really well in that game, yeah. and they were they went on to reach the World Cup final, but they were kind of on you know on the beach if that's a thing for international football when the games played in November. Um, but they were they were metaphorically they were not there, and you do you they do ease off when they've qualified. It's natural, um, and so. Again, we hope we don't need to worry about it, but I, I think we will finish second in the group now. I'll put my I'll put my neck on the line. I think we will. I think we will I think we will beat Israel like one 0 or two one. And then we'll probably we'll probably draw one of the two away games, but we'll probably get second anyway. <laughs> that's what that's what I think will happen. Um Yeah. Is there anything else to add in this Scotland game? No, I I think I will also stick my neck on the line and we'll say that Scotland will finish second. Good. And then win the semi-finals because as it stands, we're going to be seeded for the semi-finals. Which means it's, it's quite a, a, it's not complicated, but there's there's twelve semi-finalists, which sounds like quite that's too many teams for the semi-finals. But like enter total cup all over again. Uh-huh. So so semi, twelve semi-finalists and then uh, six finalists, and then three teams qualify thereafter. I we are currently seeded. There's some decent teams that we might come up against. Uh, so I think we might need to ride our luck when it comes to the draw. Yes. And um, I mean, there, there are the potential for them being some not very good teams in there as well. So yeah, and if we can get that seed and you're at home in the semi-final, which I think could make a big difference, but then it's luck of the draw. We, we got unlucky with the um, the Nations League one the last time. Um if we if we got if we got told we finished second, we had two games at Hamden against teams who haven't been good enough to qualify automatically for the World Cup. You can't you can't disagree with that as an option. You know, no, we've done one of, yeah, some of those teams might be better than us. Um, but we'll save that. We'll save all of that discussion. Um, that will come back up in a month's time when we we have some um, genuinely massive um, matches in in October. What we will do now is we will delve back into the archives and we will be going on for the next one in our list of uh, classic, um, most memorable Scotland men's matches. Most memorable matches, which only stretches back to 2019 and therefore don't include <laughs> because we've been so long in doing this. Any of the ones that uh, related to the last Euros or indeed uh, this win in Austria, which might not have made it in anyway. Um, but we are going back now to the 14th of November, 1984. Um, for the second time in a row, because I think the last podcast also discussed the game in this campaign, it was qualifying for the 1986 World Cup. Um, I Feel For You by Shaka Khan was that, um, at number one, not a song I'm familiar with. but uh, No, I am. I'm familiar with that song. It's a, 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 decent, a decent track. And the two big kind of issues in the country at that point were the minor strike. Um, that was ongoing at the time. Fuck Margaret Thatcher. and um, Good that she's dead. Yeah, and the famine in Ethiopia, um, which, um, so I think a week after this was when Band-Aid got, um, got recorded. Um, so those were the kind of two big news stories of the time, um, and, and that's what was going on. Back at Hamden Park, there were 70,000 people turned up to watch uh, to watch Scotland play Spain. Now, Spain had been... Um, Spain had been European Championship finalists. They'd lost to France um, in the final, yeah. or 2-0 to France. This was only a few months after that. Scotland had kicked off their campaign. So again, this is, again, slightly old ground for some of the um, people who listened to the, the discussion of the Wales one on the previous one. Scotland were in a group with Wales, Iceland and Spain. We'd kicked off the campaign by beating Iceland 3-0 at Hampden and then we played Spain in our second game. And uh, obviously it was pretty much, you were thinking at the time, if we can beat Spain here, 
we're already in a pretty strong position um, with this group. Um, Scotland lined up Jim Leighton was in goals um, Steve Nicholl Alec McLeish uh, Willie Miller Arthur Alberson was playing left back and we had Betts Sunis McStay and Cooper and then Mo Johnson and Kenny Dalgleish a pretty strong Scotland team um, lots of the kind of big names there um, do, do, do you remember were you, were you at this game Sean no, or do you no I died so, so this was slightly this was slightly beyond my time and what I would say is so for people of my generation, I suppose, for want of a, a better description, then Scotland beating France 2-0 in the 1990 qualifiers is probably the, the kind of epitome of a Scotland performance. The, the best Scotland performance ever is beating France 2-0 at Hamden in, 19, like in 1989. For uh, people who are slightly older than me, I think this result and this performance... Uh, is what they regard as the the finest Scotland this. performance, and then certainly result of uh, that they could recall. Uh, this is one my dad my dad always talks about. Is uh, uh, you know, I mean, it was as you said, it was the against the European Championship finalists. This was a good team. Uh, funnily enough, I to, to see when it was. See when and I think it was Fowler said it right. Here's here's the the game that we're looking at. I don't remember this. It's been a World Cup qualifier at, at, at all, and I don't know what it is about my uh, kind of childlike mind that doesn't recall anything from the 1986 World Cup qualifiers, but does recall the 1986 World Cup. Mm. So I was like, ah, right. So this must be a European Championship game. So I kind of googled it, kind of European Championship, uh, and obviously it, it wasn't that. And I suppose. I suppose what I thought was quite interesting was so we obviously beat Spain 3 1 in this game. And as much as we celebrate the fact that uh, Scotland qualified for six World Cups out of seven, and, and rightly so, but, and obviously we now kind of chastise the fact that we generally don't qualify for, for World Cups or European Championships, we generally qualified by the skin of our teeth. So whether that was to do with a single point or whether it was to do with so and so in this example we qualified for uh, so we had to play Australia in a playoff but we managed that through goal difference uh, from a from a game against Wales so we've uh, we, we, we've generally done it by the skin of our teeth but this was probably the best performance in my opinion uh, other than the win against France which I think was 1989 it was exceptional. And I think Kenny Douglas's influence. So even though he was he was getting on a bit by now, and even in 1984, so he'd he was named in the squad, even though he just had a, a knee operation. Uh however, Jockstein named him because he thought he would be back. And he so I think it was his 96th cap for Scotland. He only got 102. It was his final ever goal. Uh, for, for, for Scotland but regardless bear in mind how good Spain were this was a deserved win for Scotland we were the better team and possibly possibly could have won by more and, and what, what, what I thought was most interesting and it's at the same time quite frustrating is that see between I don't know I could be wrong with dates here but see between maybe 1983 to 1990 for example we produced Scotland strikers who were excellent, but for one reason or another, 
didn't quite make them up. So that would be Charlie Nicholas, uh, Mo Johnson, and Frank McAvenny. Like genuinely, McAvenny was probably the least talented of the three, but Nicholas and Johnson were exceptional, far better than anything we have now. But for whatever reason, they didn't quite, from a Scotland perspective, uh, do as well as they could have done. But this game against Spain, and funnily enough, the game against France that I mentioned in 1989, Mo Johnson was exceptional and and absolutely uh, showed exactly what he was capable of. Yeah, I think so. I think that was um, my thought. And, and more, you can you can throw in another name there, which is Steve Archibald, who um, was had just signed for Barcelona, would go on to be the third top scorer in the Spanish league that season sat on the bench throughout this game so you've got a <laughs> Barcelona player sitting on the bench for Scotland against Spain so I guess it's a, there's a bit of a power play there um, as well but um, yeah that that was um, that that was one of the things that jumped out at me because you're looking through and, and Nicholas was on the bench for this one as well you're looking through that list of names that, that weren't playing um, Gordon Strachan so there's a quote from before the game um, from the Spain manager uh, Miguel Munoz was just why no Strachan that was a quote that was in the Herald from the day before um, and uh, Strachan the previous year in 1983 had been voted fourth in the Ballon d'Or um, so it was uh, M- uh, Michel Platini Kenny Dalglish Alan Simonson Danish player and uh, Strachan were the top four and, imagine uh, having two Scotland players in the top four for the Ballon d'Or it's, co- it's coming it's coming Sean um, <laughs> but the um, yeah, so 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 their manager was obviously slightly confused, and it said in the in the paper it said basically the journalist writing it said, well, hopefully Paul McStay kind of shows him why there's no striking. I think McStay did did have a particularly good game um, in this one as well. Was it? Uh, so I think it was Miguel Miguel Munoz. Yeah, that was the the Spanish manager, but he, funnily enough, so he was the manager for Real Madrid when they beat Eintracht Frankfurt seven three. So already had a, a kind of link to Hamden, but he had a quote afterwards and he said, uh, the Scots were fantastic. Uh, it was the most powerful Scotland side I have ever seen. Uh, I was not disappointed with my team. We were simply beaten by the better side, which probably sums up like how good Scotland were. I know I know we can over-egg it. I know we can like get misty-eyed when yeah, it comes yeah. to Scotland, but the fact that you can, you can look at that. So, so I watched the game today. Uh, it had been uploaded, oddly enough, in its entirety uh, on on YouTube with, with Spanish commentary. But the fact that you could have uh, Davy Cooper and Kenny Dalglish and Mo Johnson and Paul McStay and Jim Bett, who maybe we'll talk about later, he had, he had like a, a, a kind of weird career. But I suppose to to touch on to to touch on, uh, to, 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 to touch on like his importance and. Like there, there's so many, there's been so many players who have been regarded as maybe the next kind of leash, and and probably was came in that next, those next few years. Nicholas Johnson uh, and uh, Nicholas Johnson and uh, and it, and it's never happened for any of them for for whatever reason, and and they all had the ability to do so, but we've we've struggled to have a, a decent. Not even decent, and, and I know like like Dalglish is world class, but we've never had anything even remotely approaching that from a forward since. Yeah, and so so we talked through the game. I guess it's Mo Johnson you're talking about forward there. He, he was obviously in, in top form in this game. 
Um, and in a lot of these games, to be honest, it, it does seem like a player that popped up in big games all the time because um, a lot of these games we end up talking about Mo Johnson. Um, so both the first two goals I thought could be characterised quite unfairly as uh, shite corners followed by his doing something on the second <laughs> goal. Um, now that would be a, that would be a bit um, bit of an oversell of it, but the first goal is a corner that gets headed clear, and it's a wonderful strike by uh, Stevie Nicol at the edge of the box. Um, Arkin a very a very low diving header. Like why yeah. he's going to use his feet? It's it's probably ankle height. Um, but but he gets it in, and again, that's that's all you need to do. And then the, the second one's again a, a, a nice cross in after the kind of second ball, and, and he, he nods it um, past the keeper again. Scotland yeah, racing into two goal leads, and and as will always happen if Scotland ever race into a two goal lead in a game, they are uh, contractually obliged to concede a goal. So um, in the second a, a half, dreadful goal. It was Jim Jim Leighton. It was like he fell over, or it was a cross comes in, and he just kind of. I don't know. I, I don't know how to say what it was like. It was like Jim Leighton was diving for a, a different shot at goal. <laughs> like he he dived low, but the ball went high. It, but it was headed into the ground and it bounced over him. And it, yeah, high. it doesn't make make a so, lot so, of sense. So, so basically, what happened was it like I, th- I think the cross had come in, and then Leighton had come for it, and then and then second guessed himself and then retreated back. But then I, I still don't understand what happened next. So basically like the header, there was a header down, which went high, but he'd, like he'd dive low. It was really, really weird. And 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 it's, it's one of those things for me with Jim Leighton. Now I know that Jim Leighton had a, had a fantastic career as a goalkeeper. He obviously won the Cup Winners Cup for Aberdeen. I've watched the final of that before. You could be forgiven for thinking Jim Leighton was rubbish if you watched a lot of um, a lot of his career. He had a very strange career because you you think we've talked about Morocco um, in the ninety eight World Cup. Now I appreciate that was a whole fourteen years after this, and he was in his forties. Um, you've got something like that where he falls over. You've obviously got um, um, at Man United being a, a colossal failure there. Was he actually good? No, no, he was, but he did have. Like maybe a lot of goalkeepers, he had uh, goals that he could have done better for. Yes, and and, and this was this was one of them. But fortunately, um, we would go on to to seal the game. It was Kenny Dalglish, um, kind of cut in from from the right hand side, and and a kind of beautiful curled effort um, with his left foot. And my dad always said to he obviously, as I said earlier, this was a game that was um, James McFadden scored the goal against Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Qualifying, which was you know not dissimilar to this, and the first thing my dad said to me after that was uh, just like Kenny Dalglish against Spain, and I was like, it's not, it's not quite that. Well, it was the same stakes, and in both times, I think it put us three one up in the game, but um, it, it it was a, a tremendous goal, and that put him level, as you said, with Dennis Law in the um, Scotland goal scoring record, and I think there was probably a belief at that point that he would go on and can beat, beat that but he obviously never did so they finished um, they finished up level but 30 goals for Scotland is, n- is not something that um, looks like being broken anytime soon I mean maybe John McGinn if we let him play against like rubbish teams all the time we may get quite close but um, yeah it, it doesn't look like something that I don't think any of our current strikers are going to be troubling um, troubling the 30s I'd be quite surprised if they were troubling the 10s to be honest um, no, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pleasantly surprised uh, I, I suppose from the from the Spanish side, uh, I, I suppose one of the most I've, I've went through everybody. So I know when Tony does these things, he generally tries to find like I don't know, like a, a kind of sex scandal yeah, or yeah. Uh, I, I don't know something they've done in their private life. Which, in fairness, I, I've tried to do as well. 
But the only thing I could find was uh, is it Andoni Goikachi? Yeah, yeah, the butcher of Bilbao. The butcher of Bilbao. So I I didn't realise that, and because it occasionally pops up on my my Twitter timeline every now and again, that game against Barcelona where I think it's like a cup final. Yeah, and they are just kicking fuck at each other. But ultimately, what that stemmed from, as far as I'm aware, was he broke Maradona's ankle. Have you seen the tackle? Uh, and I have not seen the tackle, but I believe it's a bad one. Yes. So it's, so it's one of those that is kind of like his, his foot makes contact with Maradona like halfway up his leg when his foot's planted in the ground. So it's, yeah, it's not um, not the most pleasant tackle. But according to his Wikipedia page, he actually kept the boot that he broke Maradona's ankle with uh, in, in a glass case as a, in a kind of celebratory uh, thing. And then he also, he also ended... Bernd Schuster's career as far as I'm aware so he had a dreadful tackle on him as well and I, as which is why as far as I'm aware this this cup game with Bilbao and uh and, and Barcelona got out of hand it was entirely to do with him but but thankfully it didn't maim or, or kill any any Scotland players that evening so yeah, he started this because that was that was the 1984 Copa del Rey final. It was only a few months before this game, and yeah, there's, there's footage of like Maradona like fly kicking people and stuff like that because um, <laughs> it was one of his first games back. Um, but yeah, he had been banned. He was started the 84 85 season with an 18 game ban as a result of they got reduced and they probably got, they got reduced, reduced to seven. seven. But he'd previously been banned for ten games for the tackle on Maradona as well. Um, but it was it was like it's, it makes him sound right like. Like a guy that that's all he's got going for him, you know that that was a highlight of his career. Atletico, sorry, Athletic Bilbao had won the um, won the league two years running before that, and he was a big part of that team. He was he was a successful player as well, and he was the player that scored the goal in this game. But yeah, a, an interesting character. Also playing for him was uh, Juan, uh, sorry, Jose Camacho, who went on to be the manager at the two thousand two World Cup that had the really sweaty armpits. <laughs> um, so there's that footage of him in 2002 but talking of like the yeah the aggression from Spain it's funny to think of that now because it's like a bunch of wee tiny guys um, passing the ball about but Jock Steen's quote before the game was um, f- uh, oh sorry the Jock Steen's before the game was saying we're going to take take the game to them because match fire with fire because that's what they were kind of known for at the time was being quite aggressive and he said the aggression will be there that's a vital part of our game the Spaniards needn't think they are here for a nice game of football. It would be daft for us to change our whole pattern, but we'll go after them sensibly. And it's that go after them sensibly, like, yeah, we, we will we will attempt to maim and uh, hurt these guys, but in a nice, sensible fashion. Sensibly, sensibly so. And after I, the I, game... I, I, I did enjoy, uh, there's uh, an advertising hoarding behind the goals, I think it's the second half, and it says, Adam for scrap. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, right, see in, see in 1984, how do you... How do you do anything about that? See Adam for scrap. <laughs> see if you see, see if you're interested in that. How do you how do you how do you find out about Adam for scrap? Like you have to you have to go into yellow pages. I don't know. <laughs> I, I have Googled it and it turns out that they are still about. So Adam for scrap is still about. How you how you went about that in November nineteen eighty four, I, I do not know. I do not know. It's almost a, it's almost a nice throwback to the, the big ones that are Hamden just now, which is for Billy Bowie waste <laughs> management. It's pretty much the same thing, right? Um, the, the, honestly, the amount of times I've been at Hamden and then watched Scotland and then afterwards, I cannot resist phoning uh, Billy Bowie to speak to him about <laughs> waste management. Um, yeah, and the, the match report for the Herald kind of going on, it said, uh, this, is, this is kind of, you can imagine this in reverse now, it says, 
having to dodge swinging boots and tackles, which are more commonly seen in a wrestling ring. Scotland kept their cool, their discipline, and most importantly, their determination. You could quite imagine, like reading that written about us, um, like like the, the reverse in a foreign newspaper now, because um, it's kind of our reputation. There is a bunch of hackers, even if it's not always true. But yeah, um, it's. I think I think this is one of the things of football in that era. It, it was attritional. Every time I watch games back, it is aggressive, it is attritional, and and you you have a respect for the quality of players that that show up. Um, and play um, you know in terms of the good quality football has been able to do something in amongst that do, do we have anything else to add Sean or are we only the, just we see in terms see in terms of what you've mentioned uh, see the second goal so Mo Johnson's second goal so Jim Bett was I mean he was he was kind of scythed not scythed down because he didn't go down but it was it was very much fouled and then he he done one of those things where it was like but you've just been kicked but you like you're still trying to stay on your yeah, feet. Yeah. So he, he, he kind of stayed on his feet for about 10 yards and then he got the cross in and then, and then Mo Johnson, he kind of, it looks like bad defending, but he kind of peeled off the defender to, to kind of head home. And and the, the thing I'm most like about Mo Johnson is, and again, this is relevant to Scottish strikers throughout the 80s, his, uh, his shots were exactly the same as every other Scottish player shorts, but somehow Mo Johnson made them more sexy than, than <laughs> anybody else. I don't know if they were higher, I don't know if they were lower, but Mo Johnson somehow made his uh, Scottish strip, especially shorts, more sexy than everybody else that was playing that night. Well, that's that's a perfect way to uh, end the podcast, isn't it, Sean? To talk about uh, Mo Johnson's sexy shorts. <laughs> There's a title for it as well. Um, so th- thanks, Sean, for uh, for joining us um, this evening. Um, I hope that all the listeners enjoy this. There's loads of Patreon content going out soon as well. And I hope you enjoy your uh, football this weekend. So thanks very much, Sean. No worries. Thank you. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.